Victoria here, Girl Boss's senior writer. One of my New Year's resolutions is to drink more water. I have a bottle that sits beside my desk and goes untouched literally for hours. Then I wonder, why do I have a headache by 2 p.m.? There has to be a better way to stay hydrated, right? That's why Water Drop is such a game changer. Their sugar-free micro drinks make drinking water actually enjoyable while also adding in extra flavor and vitamins. There's even a naturally caffeinated range for a healthier alternative to coffee. Just dissolve one of the delicious cubes made from natural fruit and plant extracts into 14 to 20 fluid ounces of fresh cold water. Yep, it's that easy. By choosing Water Drop, you save 98% of plastic and CO2 compared to beverages in single-use bottles. Plus, they collect and recycle one ocean-bound plastic bottle for every pack sold. So, what are you waiting for? Girlboss Radio listeners get 15% off with the code GIRLBOSS15. Head to go.waterdrop.com slash girlbossradio to quench your thirst and grab a cute water bottle in the process. That's go.waterdrop.com slash girlbossradio. Offer is valid until January 10th, 2023. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy, and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today, I'm joined by Solange Burnett, everyone's favorite weed auntie and the co-founder and CEO of Humble Bloom, a cannabis education and advocacy agency. As someone who's curious about cannabis, I found our conversation both informative and inspiring. And I hope you do too. I even thought about lighting up a blunt for our combo, but I had an important meeting afterwards. So maybe next time. Solange and I chatted about using cannabis in the workplace, her ever-evolving relationship with the plant, and how it can be used to build community, heal the body, and yes, even help with your productivity. Let's get into it. Solange, thank you so much for joining us today on Girl Boss Radio. How's your day been so far? So far, so good. And I am so grateful to be here with you, Avery. Yes, we're really excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time now. I actually asked the Girl Boss producers if it was okay if I got high during our conversation today. <laughs> oh my God, please do. Shall we partake together? <laughs> I was seriously considering it. Uh, a friend of mine gifted me a THC pen recently, and I've been dabbling here and there, but I have a strategic meeting with someone on my team at Bloom after this about one of our DEI sessions that we're hosting. So I think I want to be like sharp. I haven't gone to the place where I can balance being like really present and under the influence of marijuana, but I intend on getting there because I've heard that it's a glorious place to be. It is. If you need help from your weed auntie, I'm here for you, honey. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So I feel like there's so much that I want to talk about with you today, but I really want to kind of start from the beginning. I want people to learn a little bit more about you. I think that like, the most important question that I came up with when I was kind of learning a little bit more about you and, and of course doing my like Instagram and internet creep. I'm curious about the first time you ever tried cannabis. 
So my family is from the Caribbean and there's a lot of stigma as much as out in the ether folks think, oh, everybody's Jamaican who's from the Caribbean and everybody smokes weed and is culturally attuned to that. There is so much of a colonization of mindset. So weed was completely off limits and something that I didn't try until I had an injury. My junior year of college, I played soccer and I was on a run and I pulled my groin and I didn't know what to do about it. I was kind of freaking out. I was on the varsity team at Wellesley College and one of my old roommates who was from Maine, Eva Kaplan, she actually had a cannabis salve that she created and was like, you should rub this on your groin as well to help alleviate the pain and to deal with the muscle tension. So I started doing that and she also gave me wheat and hot brownies. So she was like my gateway to it. And then it became more normalized with a guy that I was dating who smoked every day a few years later. And I think that like reflecting on your career journey, I'm curious, like what was the first job you ever had? The first paying job that I had was probably as a babysitter. And what is hilarious about that is that thread continues through to this day. One of the people that I babysat, her name was Samantha Rothman. Samantha, love her. She is now a lawyer at a huge law firm in the cannabis industry called Furstein Kulik. Now they've grown and they provide our beautiful little boutique firm pro bono support. What? That is amazing. <laughs> Isn't it wild? That is so wild. When I asked you that question, I did not think that it was going to connect to present day Solange career trajectory at all. That is wild. Never thought so myself. Now, knowing that you have a career in cannabis now, did you ever think you would actually have a career in cannabis? No, I definitely think as a Black woman, first generation growing up in Massachusetts, where, you know, there's puritanical values, there's this liberal conservatism, you are trying so hard to do your best and help others. I definitely come from an environment in which taking care of others is almost as valued as taking care of yourself. And I think that is like the Black woman's burden. We are constantly helping others, maybe more than helping ourselves. Um, And I studied psychology. I studied Africana studies, broadcast journalism in grad school. So I definitely knew that communication and connecting people was in my wheelhouse. I wanted to do that. But it took nonprofit, working at startups, working in so many different spaces to come to cannabis. Yeah. And do you think that you're not believing or not knowing that you'd ever find your way into cannabis was also just as a result of like the times? Because I mean, a career in cannabis wasn't something that was possible for a lot of people 10 years ago. I think the illegality and the shame and the discrimination. I also have been in the entertainment industry. I've managed bands and musicians. I myself am a singer. I perform in the Resistance Revival Chorus. And before that, when I was in bands, there's a lot of actual drug use, illicit drug use. And in the circles that I was in, it was predominantly white European focused folks because it was like a psych rock group. I did a lot of things in international music as well. And 
they would actually look down on weed, some folks, while they were doing acid or doing ecstasy or taking shrooms or whatever else. And it's like there was an adjacency to laziness and there was an adjacency to just not being someone you could depend on or rely on. People had stigma around the smell specifically. And throughout all that time, I did not care. I always was an advocate for the plant and used it and found community within those circles that also allowed for and loved it. I also worked in jazz specifically and there, there was a home. People smoked weed all the time. They hung out. It allowed for their creativity to flourish. So I was able to take, you know, from the sports injury that originally got me into weed to nightlife and partying and having those momentary breaks where I would separate from the groups of people that I would bring in or invite new people into the groups where I would share that doobie and create connection to now where I'm finally like, oh, day in, day out, cannabis, honey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. And I think that you're absolutely right. I spent most of my career working in startups and working in tech and engaging in psychedelics or even other types of substances, even alcohol being one of them. It's like so normalized. And it's interesting, the stigma that's attached to the use of cannabis at work, because one believes that it's this like lazy drug and there's this myth of overproductivity that comes from some of the other substances that people can engage in or use. And I know that this is very pervasive, specifically in organizations that have like big sales cultures. And that's something I want to put a pin in. I definitely want to kind of reflect and, and chat about that a little later on, but you're absolutely right. There's like, there is a big stigma. And it leads me to my next question is like, was there ever a time when you personally felt the cannabis was bad? When I was really young, I am the age that I am. There's no reason to hide it. I was an 80s baby, you know, so no longer girl boss, baby. <laughs> but definitely, the girl. Okay, girl boss is more of a conceptual thing I versus a literal thing. Yeah, I, know, I, know, I know, I know. I love it. Just I love it. But I love that you mentioned it. Yeah. I love that you mentioned it because, like, yeah, obviously, women are not girls. <laughs> I am not a girl. Right. I just saw something recently where, like, some guy. I called a girl. It was like a meme. It's like I called her, called a woman, her a girl boss. And she was like, okay, boy boss. And the way he reacted, you know, like she was like, I'm just a boss. So, but I understand the under the reason it's like to amplify us and showcase us in a way. So I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, I think that for me, um, I grew up like my mom is Irish, but born in Canada. My dad was born in England, but my grandma's from Jamaica and I have a lot of family from the Caribbean. But I found that same stigma, like weed was like an absolute no-go. So my mom had the same energy as I was growing up and I was in schools. She was like, what's good for Sarah, Rebecca and Jessica is not good for Solange. You need to watch yourself. And they will see you first. The teachers, the administrators, they will place the blame on you. They will make you the outcast. They will malign you. And we don't have the same money as those kids' parents either. So when they get in trouble, they'll get away with it. You don't have lawyers. You don't have folks that are going to be able to get you out of whatever mishap occurs. So I was very well behaved. I was also the first of everybody in my generation. So I definitely felt that extreme burden of being the firstborn in my family, the firstborn of everybody on mainland and making sure that I did well for us. 
so that no one could talk crap about our family and should we be here? What kinds of things have we been given when, just like you said, some of these other kids could literally get away with murder? So I want to talk about cannabis at work because I think that we can get into like our uprising or uprising or upbringing, my bad. We'll get to the uprising. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I do really want to talk about cannabis at work because there's been a lot of changes. So like now that cannabis is legalized in Canada and many states in the U.S. and with the rise of remote work and working from home, what place does marijuana have in the workplace now? Well, first of all, in New York, Cannabis actually has, it has been decriminalized and it's legal. And there have been specific instructions to employers that you cannot discriminate based on cannabis usage. So that is really important, even was depending on the type of employment. Of course, if you're operating heavy machinery, any type of intoxication is not a good thing. But if you are using cannabis for pain management, like so many people wake and bake and go to work. It's before you even get there. There's no way of knowing that people have done this. There's also edibles. There's so many ways to mask and hide the way that you're using cannabis. So I think people have been doing it forever. But now, as I have noticed, I work in a co-working space slash a membership club. I work at Soho House. I actually do curation for them and do experiences around cannabis and well-being. So even a place like that, that's based in the UK, where it is not legal, that's where it's headquarters, they're starting to change. They see this as an opportunity for wellness. The stigma is starting to flip, both federally and internationally. But until we really change and make it federally legal, and that's not just decriminalizing or, you know, saying, oh yeah, let's get folks out of prisons. Like releasing people from prisons is not the same as expunging records so that they no longer have that and they're able to get employment, able to get housing. There's so much. And I know I'm going all over the place, but just trying to paint a picture. So I think that Right now, cannabis in the workplace, depending on what you're doing and where you're at state to state, is wildly different. And in a place like New York, it is totally legal. We have retail shops coming online. We have medical facilities that have been around. I do creator work as well. So I'm out here plugging suppositories, growing your own, so many different avenues to understanding the plant. So there's so much advocacy around it and attempts to normalize it that I think On the grander scale, yes, people are accepting, but it is really case by case and it is really space by space. So people are incorporating it in their lives holistically, not just in work. And in work, I think it is something that now people are coming out of the closet with. If maybe they were only eating edibles or taking some kind of drops or they were only using CBD, maybe now they're venturing out and trying to incorporate THC, incorporate ratios of CBD, THC, understanding what the different cannabinoids are that also are helping them mitigate stress and anxiety. Instead of going out to smoke a cigarette, yeah, go out and take two puffs of weed it's, or pop an edible, you know, whatever it is so that you can still have that community aspect, that little break, and then go back in and get to work. 
I think that what you were mentioning earlier around like whether you can incorporate marijuana into your workplace and into your work day, if it's like a bona fide requirement for the job, which means specifically in Canada, you are like to your point operating heavy machinery, you are working as a doctor or like there's certain elements of the work you do where there could be a serious impact on your health or others. If you are under the influence of any substance, then usually organizations have policies in place. But what I can say as a person that leads an HR and workplace design consultancy, we've been working on designing different types of substance use policies and guides so people kind of understand what the parameters are. Because to your point, because there hasn't been much federal law passed, both in the United States and then in Canada, it's making it a little bit more challenging for organizations to know what they can and cannot do or what they can expect when it comes to any sort of substance use. And I think that this extends also to the point of drinking, especially now when we think about people that work from home, we don't really know what people are consuming throughout the day. We can't see that. So yeah, there's a lot of question marks. And I think that there's a lot of gray area right now to your point. Yeah. And I think it's not one size fits all. It all depends. We have an endocannabinoid system. This is literally a system that incorporates cannabis so that you have homeostasis in your body. You have balance. We do not have an alcohol system. We do not have a cocaine system. We do not have an Adderall system. We don't have any of these pharmaceutical drug systems. And yet we treat it the same. Why? If I'm going to go and take a green juice, is someone going to tell me how much green juice can I take? I think what happens here and what we really need to fully digest is that this is a plant medicine and each body is different. So if you're a human that's 130 pounds and six foot two, or you're another human that's five foot two and like 125 pounds wet, like we need to know that it's different for each one of those people. So I really think there's a slippery slope here coming up with guidelines around usage for how much cannabis for individuals when our bodies are so wildly different and how we can regulate and utilize this plant to find balance. Absolutely. And I think that from an HR perspective, organizations need to be really mindful with not being prescriptive in the way that they navigate building these guys, but more so offer an opportunity for support and education and guidance around what it is that essentially they believe in, what their expectations are, but not in terms of like how much they should or could use throughout their workday. So I'm curious, how many people do you think that are using cannabis during workday to support their productivity? Do you have any information or numbers on that? I don't have numbers on that specifically. I do think, though, it is becoming such a normalized thing, just like folks taking supplements in the morning. I mean, this morning I took my multivitamin and then I took a CBD pill that had adaptogens and a different blend of like ashwagandha and all these other things. Then I put on my like CBD lip gloss. Then I took a puff of my homegrown CBD slash THC two to one blend in order to start my day and did a little journaling and then went out and got my coffee and finished that little lift that I had. So I think 
there isn't enough reporting. There isn't enough research on cannabis at all, full stop, from the medicinal benefits to the outright usage because of the stigma. And when you're afraid to lose your job, when you're afraid of being perceived as somebody who is not performing to peak levels or who's indulging in some kind of recreational drug while they're at work, I think it's similar to reporting if you've had something violating happen to you. You're afraid of some kind of repercussion or that you're going to be looked at differently. So again, Evergreen, I think it's going to take time for us to truly understand how many people are consuming at work and otherwise. Absolutely. On that note, do you believe people should have to disclose their cannabis use to their boss or to leaders within their organization? I think it's up to you. Do what you want. Who walks in and is like, yes, I drink. There's lots of people saying, I don't drink. Stop harassing me to go to this happy hour. This doesn't make me feel comfortable. I don't find community in binging after work or playing foosball together or preach whatever it is that you've decided. Like period. Period, (laughs) full stop. That whatever these white cis men have deemed the way to find community and camaraderie is actually really isolating. So no, I don't think you need to disclose it. Sometimes life stinks, literally. Instead of spraying your home with toxic chemicals and giving yourself a headache in the process, reach for something better. Puri is flipping the funk on all life's odors with their non-toxic odor eliminators that are made from essential oils. Take your busy office bathroom or your dog's beloved bed from foul to fresh in seconds. Some of my faves are O's Christmas that smells like freshly trimmed Christmas tree and frosty flesh that smells like snow, fresh air, and balsam fur. Use code GIRLBOSS to get 20% off your purchase of $25 or more one-time use only at puri.com. That's P-O-U-R-R-I.com and say goodbye to that stench. Offer expires on January 31st, 2023. You're listening to my chat with Solange, a cannabis community builder and everyone's favorite weed on team. Next up, we talk about Solange's radical definition of success and how we need to invest in more Black-owned, women-owned businesses. So what do you think is the best way for people to introduce or incorporate CBD or THC into their work routine. I know that you kind of shared your own personal journey for folks that are like, okay, I have had benefited from engaging in this and having this a part of my day on some cases. How can they make it a part of their daily routine? I think first it's really playing with it and experimenting at home and in a safe place before you take it to work. Try out the different intake methods Not everybody is a smoker. Not everyone loves that beautiful herbal, earthy, rich smell and aroma that comes from the plant when it's lit. So experiencing and experimenting with different levels of dosage and onset time when you take an edible, because it has to go through your body and actually digest, go through your bloodstream into your gut, it takes about one and a half to two hours for that edible to actually do stuff on average. When you hit a joint or a pen, those cannabinoids are going directly into your lungs. So it's hitting your bloodstream within 10 to 15 minutes. You feel the onset. So playing with the different 
modalities or ways of taking it? And also, what do you need it for? Starting to journal around it. Are you going into work and you're feeling anxiety as soon as you see people? Is your coffee making you jittery? I realized that the reason I tend to use CBD at the top of the day is to kind of level set a balance. And it's from me taking coffee to get going. And then in the day, later on, if I need a little spark, literally, okay, then I'll smoke a little THC or towards the end of the day or right before I'm doing a little speaking engagement. If I feel my nerves are particularly on edge, I will partake. And again, as I said, maybe to have more of like a green onset, if you've been smoking tobacco, maybe it's time to get some herbal blends and some weed together and replace that addiction to tobacco with something that actually is working with your body rather than against it. So I think there are multiple opportunities. Also, there are beverages. I absolutely love a cannabis tea. There are brands that blend lavender and calendula and like all sorts of delicious compatible plants and botanicals that you can blend with CBD and THC. There's a local one in New York called Noir Bud that's a Black-owned business that I absolutely adore, Kikoko in California. These are women-owned brands that have thought about, ooh, before I have an intimate moment, while I'm at work, while I'm calming down, let's have some hot tea instead of having coffee that also that gives you jitters and makes you anxious. So there are many opportunities where you could swap in your green ally for some of these, I don't know, I wouldn't want to say bad habits because they're not necessarily bad habits, but some of these rituals that you incorporate in your everyday that you can start to stick in a little weed and maybe shift or completely swap out some of the things you're looking to change in your life. Yeah, I think that listening to you say that, perhaps a way to frame it would be to say, you know, habits that you're wanting to evolve to be maybe kinder to your body. (laughs) You can't, for for folks listening, you can't see Solange, but she just snapped her fingers and did like a little happy dance. (laughs) But because I, you know, I don't actually regularly use CBD or THC, but I have a lot of really, really close friends that do, and it has done wonders for them. It's not that I don't feel as if I need it. I just personally, I've entered this conversation wanting to learn, right, as well, because it's not that I'm afraid. I just don't know where to start. Yes. And Weed Auntie loves the can of curious. Like that is my favorite. I love that you're like, I know it's working for my friends, but I just don't know where to start. And I think that is so many folks. It's like, you need someone you trust to kind of guide you. Like even for elders, you know, my mom, she's been so supportive. She's based in Massachusetts. They turned legal. And when we were working in New York, pre-legality, she's just like, you know what? So proud of you, but yeah, not doing that. And now finally, because of her own health situation, she is incorporating it. She's taking gummies. She's sending me pictures. She's asking me questions. Do you think this makes sense? What does this mean? You know, when you have somebody that can help you evolve your well-being practice to include this plant and not be scared because of what the world has told you it's supposed to do or it will do to you is really fun. I love that. I love that for your mom. And I think that what I love most, and I've kind of observed this with my parents as well, is I love when people grow. I love when people grow in the way that they change their mind on certain things. Like one of my favorite things to say these days is I changed my mind. 
I love saying that. I think that we need to become more comfortable with being okay with changing our mind and also expressing that and saying it with our full chest. And I think that sometimes we change our mind on a specific type of thing that we maybe thought was bad or wrong. Like I was raised to believe that weed was bad and an absolute no. But now if I'm ever at the cottage or like last year when we were celebrating my dad's 60th birthday in Jamaica, I got my hands on some weed and I was smoking marijuana all week long. And I thought it was like this radical thing to do in front of my parents when there was no discussion around it, but I just knew that they had changed their mind, which was like a really kind of cool thing to be a part of. So that's a great first too. <laughs> I feel like more than when was the first time you smoked? When was the first time you engaged in cannabis around the judging eyes of your parents? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I totally remember the first time I smoked at home, like on the porch next to my mom and had a deep conversation about mental health and like what is going on intergenerationally. It was an ability and an opportunity for us to both share very openly. Like, hey, mom, I know you're not going to smoke this with me, but I'm going to smoke while we get real deep. So speaking of work, we haven't even got into what you currently do, which is a lot. You've already kind of given us some peeks into what you're doing on a daily basis and what your workday looks like. But what I'm curious about is, it seems like you're a multi-hyphenate woman and I myself am too, but you're the co-founder and CEO at Humble Bloom. And you recently joined Honeypot as co-founder and chief culture and community officer. How are you balancing both of those roles? I do not know. (laughs) How do we do these things, Avery? You tell me, right? I am making space. Balance, I think, is a forever pursuit that isn't realistic. I think that blend is something that I've learned. There will be ups and downs and there will be moments where you're like, hey, y'all, I need to slow down over here because I'm ramping up over here. Humble Bloom is basically a cannabis culture agency, and we do everything around plant advocacy and education through experiences and consulting. Honeypot, which I just joined, because basically Humble Bloom has been very much community cannabis-centric IRL, telling these brand leaders how they can do things better, specifically through the lens of the marginalized global majority, making sure that Black and Brown and Indigenous and disabled, low-income folks, we all have more than a seat at the table, that we are amplified and pushed to the front. We're going from the consulting to how do we partner with city agencies, with private companies, with local brands that really want to get their foot in the door, with hotels, co-working spaces, membership spaces that are going to take that can of curiosity and really turn it into action in the next two years. Yeah. So at Girl Boss, we are all about defining success on our own terms. And it's clear that you have achieved quite a lot throughout your own personal career trajectory. When was the first time you felt successful? This question is so hard for me. I think women, especially Black and Brown women, are not good at receiving our flowers. We don't ever think we've succeeded. When do you succeed? I think for me, success wouldn't equal financial freedom. Until I get to that place where the economics match the exterior, the press write-ups, the opportunities to be on this incredible podcast, to share space with entrepreneurs 
who are doing such badass things, but the economics are not adding up. I saw a graphic recently that said the median white household makes in the U.S. makes $188,000, whereas the median black household makes about $29,000. This is what we're up against. I've been in Forbes and I look at this list of top eight women. One woman is a CEO at Trulieve, which is a multi-state operator, and then me, a two-person team in Brooklyn. I think that is when, when people fully take us seriously as folks who are educators, advocates, and they pay us what we're worth. They understand that this is something worth investing in. We talk about investing in women-owned companies, and it's like abysmal when it comes to Black founded women-owned companies. And it just doesn't make sense. I think I also saw something where like one guy raised $350 million, one white man in a raise recently, versus that's the total capital for all Black-owned companies in the past year. This is a hot mess. So like success to me is economics. And until the dollars are making more than sense, (laughs) I will not, I will be successful. And it's sad to say, because I don't live mentally in a capitalistic space. I live in a communal space, but I need to be able to more than survive. I need to thrive in the world. As someone that's been featured in Forbes as well, and knowing that when I did that interview, I was living with my parents, but I was also like the CEO and founder of like, (laughs) you know, a really great business that works with some of the best, most recognizable and iconic brands in the world. It's not to say that they weren't necessarily paying our company fairly. It's that I had my own barriers around what I thought the collective worth of the work that we were doing and via my team was. So I've had some major mindset shifts over the last couple of years. But the majority of the time that I've owned my business, I wasn't, I would say, financially liberated. And there's this assumption around what people earn that are CEOs and founders versus what the reality is. My definition of success is ever evolving and changing and shifting. I do think that the economic piece, like you'd mentioned, a lot of women are afraid to call that out. But I think that it's an important thing because where we have more access to capital, we have more access to resources and we can do more work. Like I care about making more money because I want my team to make more money. Exactly. I want to grow Humble Bloom. I want to actually hire people. I want to be able to continue to grow this work and affect more lives and be in more homes. Has your definition of success changed? I don't think so. I think it's always been around money. I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I love money, it. Money makes the world go around. I want to go on vacation. I want to sleep. I also think there's and that liberation that you speak of. I also think the creative freedom and the not being pigeonholed and put into a box to be able to walk into a space with dangly earrings that have Dominica on them and all kinds of trinkets and wear my braids and not wear a bra and like be speaking on channels. To be myself fully and authentically, definitely in my heart of hearts is success. For sure. That is something that I never thought I would experience. I thought I would always have to be wearing a suit and pushing somebody else's paper and making money for them on their terms, on their hours, and 
chasing Slack messages uh, on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even when I see billionaires like Kim Kardashian out there working their tail off, I have my own opinions about the Kardashian institution as it is, right? But but I will say they're working, like they're working. And I think that that just kind of is a reflection of how toxic our work culture has really kind of evolved to be. And there's a lot of other hyper successful people that are not billionaires that feel that pressure to continue producing, to continue working, to continue pushing. I always say this, but a lot of people love to make grandiose statements about the future of work. And to me, the future of work is not a prediction, it's a practice. So I have two more questions for you and I want to kind of get into them. How can Black and racialized folks reclaim cannabis from whiteness, specifically white, het, cis, non-disabled men? I think it's continuing to persevere and be resilient and continuing to show up. I mean, I was just talking to my sister, Tahira, And you were just like, how do Black people do this? (laughs) Like, that was our question. How do we continue to do this full stop anywhere in anything? (laughs) It's the resiliency. It is the strength that we have. Our ancestors are here supporting us. It is the practice of gratitude. It is the supporting each other instead of gaslighting, being in colorism, being in all these other spaces of self-preservation instead of community upliftment and empowerment. I think we need to practice what is indigenous to us and be more collaborative and connective. And when we open a door, pull everyone through. Totally. So final question I have to ask, why do you think it's important that we work towards dismantling the criminalization and corporization of cannabis? I mean, because it's made in the image of one type of person. And when you say made in the image of one type of person, who are you referring to? White, cis, het, men. It's like when it's around profit, when it's around capital, these structures are just being pulled from other industries and put directly into cannabis. All of these things that allow for the destruction of our earth. You know, we're using more light. We're getting rid of things in ways that are not environmentally sound. We're using different products that are single use in order to take care of this plant. It's a weed. There are many ways that we could think innovatively to create and to grow and manufacture this plant, as well as use it as a textile. There's literally so many applications of this plant and we only scratch the surface. When people think of weed, they only think of smoking it primarily. And we need to shift that mindset. And that comes from the overwhelming stigma and public campaigning against this plant for decades. For generations. Yeah, absolutely. What I'm hearing is that this really does work by design. There's a lot of opportunity for us to dismantle what's been built and to build better. The challenge is, is that unfortunately, we still are building with the, and by we, I mean, systems still lend to supporting white hat cis, non-disabled people, and specifically that small majority of our communities. So Thank you so much, Solange, for sharing your thoughts on that. I wanted to go through rapid fire and then do our Ask Girl Boss questions. Favorite workday snack? Chocolate. <laughs> what time do you typically wake up in the morning? 
That's terrible. Like 5.45. Oh my goodness. It's so weird. Help. That's the worst. That's the worst. Okay. And that's not like I go work out or anything. Like, just stop. So are you a morning or an evening person? The pandemic shifted my whole body. I used to be like a nightlife babe. I used to go out until four and now I'm waking up an hour later. It's really weird. So I guess now I'm kind of a morning person, but I would say I'm more of like a cozy person. Yeah. Okay. And how many unread emails do you have in your inbox? Oh, Lord. I don't know. How many? Are we counting all the inboxes? Which inbox are we counting? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave that answer at that. (laughs) So every episode, we do an Ask Girl Boss question. And the question that was shared with us today is this. What are your thoughts on taking a sabbatical from mental health? It's been tough. Take that sabbatical. We all need rest. Rest is radical. And I actually recently, not even intentionally, it wasn't a full sabbatical, but I feel like I'm normally working just a little bit, kind of every day and giving my little breaks on the weekend. But the past couple of weeks, I just decided I needed a full stop. And it's been just a little bit of email maintenance. And it is so helpful just to have that time and space. That is really important. And until you step away from the noise and let all of that just really settle, I don't think you can adequately make those judgments or critiques or comments until you've had that space to just breathe and reflect and relax. Thank you for tuning into my conversation with Solange. There were plenty of laughs, encouraging snaps, and radical pieces of wisdom. I hope it inspired you to think differently about cannabis, or at least think about your relationship with cannabis in a new way. I've loved seeing your positive reviews on the season so far. Keep them coming and tune in next week for another episode. This podcast is produced by Liz Cooper and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.